This is one of the rare radio juxtaposed podcasts where we're not necessarily just talking about artwork being made or art history. We're actually talking about psychedelics, which we have, it's a topic we have not touched on in past episodes, but it's a subject that is often something that comes up in conversations that we have in the art world in general. At the time of this recording, we are about to embark on a field trip, which is a special outsider art fair booth about the history of psychedelic solutions which if you do not know what psychedelic solutions is it was a gallery and one of the most pivotal meeting spots for juxtaposed culture on the east coast but also a place where jk burcaster transformed the way we looked at fine art but also transformed the way we looked at psychedelics influence on the art world at large now we're so lucky that the outsider art fair decided to not only spotlight Chikaber's incredible collection and incredible influence over the art world, but also gave us the opportunity to talk to Chikaber, who was a pivotal member of how Juxtapose's art was accepted on the on the East Coast, as we were predominantly known as a West Coast magazine, but also a magazine that was focusing on the wide influence of psychedelics on the art world. From psychedelic posters to comic books to zines, to blotter acid artwork, Chikaber's collection is one of the most vast and probably most impressive collection you will ever see of psychedelic art in the world. Now, we were really lucky that for the field trip installation, we have on this current episode of the Radio Juxtapose podcast, we have curator Fred Tomaselli. We have longtime contributing editor to Juxtapose magazine, Carlo McCormick. And we have Jakeber himself speaking about not only what this collection means, but also the influence of psychedelics on art, on our culture, on these three men themselves. Now, you're not going to hear Doug and I in this episode, but you will be hearing from three, what I would call legends of the art world, speaking about a topic that we've rarely been able to talk about, but also the current booth that you will see field trip at the Outsider Art Fair 2022, but also as a historical document, this is a fantastic conversation, and we hope you enjoy it. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to Radio Juxtapose. My name is Carla McCormick, and I'm here talking to two people I'm incredibly fond of, and on a subject I am uh, also much beholden to for the Outsider Art Fair, which I'm also a fan of. And so let me introduce uh, right away the two esteemed guests I'll be talking to. Uh, we have Jake Bracaster, who for many years ran a radical gallery in New York called uh, Psychedelic Solution. And out of his collection that he developed over the years from before and after the gallery uh, for the Outsider Art Fair, there is a show being put together called Field Trip. And that uh, is uh, my way of introducing my other guest, Fred Tomaselli, the esteemed artist who has been kind enough to guest curate this exhibition. Let me ask Jacaber first to tell us briefly, uh, we don't need to get too into the weeds, but a little bit about Psychedelic Solution, uh, what you did there, how it came about, and how long you ran it, and things like that. We opened up Halloween night, 1986, got bought out in November of 2004, so we've had a good run of about 19 years. The gallery as an entity that had uh, 
shows, you know, in a proper art gallery format. Was ran about ten years. After that, we had more of a salon set up where we just kept stuff we were interested in up. The idea of the gallery originally was to um, exhibit a wide variety of art that I thought all had roots or at least had some relationship or affinity to psychedelics. And uh, at that point, uh, the 60s had passed away pretty definitively. We had gone through this period in the late 70s where, um, you know, with the rise of sort of punk ethos and other uh, other different set of concerns and the kids of the people in the 60s were kind of like that's what my parents were into not for me and it took about 20 years or so from the mid 60s to the mid 80s before I think we got it out of our systems enough to bring it back but of course bringing things back is not, you don't revive the dead, you, you, you move on to a new level where we, we, we were trying to figure out where is this going and, and where has it gotten to. And it was great, and it was a, a real evolution that way. I hope we can talk about it a bit. I mean, I think when I try to ex- explain psychedelic solution to people who weren't around then, I always kind of think of it as clubhouse hiding in a gallery that was masquerading as a shop. But <laughs> I don't know if that works. But I guess I'm, I just before, because I, I really want to talk to Fred a little bit about his curatorial decisions. But I do think there's also within uh, the visual arc of the gallery, which ranged really far over that 10 year run of exhibitions, uh, there's, there's an interesting um, development because you kind of started out as an artist and then became engaged as a collector. Then you opened this gallery, and then you move back towards being a collector, and finally back to being an artist. So just from the perspective of the collector and the artists and the gallery, I guess just from those perspectives, how, how do you see uh, a richer picture of psychedelic art, and what would be your tips to collectors who are interested in this? Well, I always have the same, start off with the same advice. I think if you're going to collect something, the best thing to do is collect what you love. Because aside from the monetary issues, um, at least, you know, you've got, you'll have something that you love. I tend to like things that I would want to put up on the wall myself and look at. And I advise that to other people too. Um, There's nothing wrong with, investing in or collecting a lot of stuff that you might want to put in drawers or on shelves or store it someplace but it's I think it's a lot better to collect stuff that you can enjoy because that's the whole point of psychedelic art is that you like to look at it it likes to get looked at and it's there's something special about it that goes uh, I touches people who've enjoyed the experience of psychedelics it, there's kind of a little bit of a flashback effect. Yeah, it, it, it does it feed you back. Yeah, it's a feedback. Uh, well, it's, speaking of you know artists we love and art we love, uh, this is a good time to introduce Fred Tomaselli. So, Fred, you're the curator on this show. I guess 
I would ask you uh, what your attraction to this material is as an artist, uh, what you were looking for as you tried to conceive of this show out of the incredible collection Jay has, and maybe even some of the surprise discoveries along the way. Well, I was attracted to the art, partially because it's part of this other art history or this side art history that's really been influential to me as an artist. You know, I learned about minimalism and conceptualism and cubism and all the isms in school, but they didn't teach psychedelic art in school. And that's like, that came to me through the way I lived my life as a person growing up in Southern California. One of the things that really surprised me about the collection, Jacobers' collection, is the kind of the, the stylistic breath. There's like everything from like super tight, classic, psychedelic, almost speed freak art, where it's just like super minute lines and obsessive compulsive mark making, to like really fluid, almost abstract expressionist painting. And to me, it sort of felt like there was just so much variety there that what I wanted to do as a curator was try to uh, show as many variegations of style as I could. And I was specifically drawn to a lot of the earliest stuff, the stuff that was made before head shops, before like there were signifiers in the culture about how to interpret a trip or, you know, what a trip's supposed to look like. Like the stuff from like 65, 64, 63, it's just like nobody really knows what's happening yet. It hasn't really been codified into the general culture. And that to me, these sort of Magellans of inner space that are trying to describe what just happened to them, all they have is sort of Eisenhower style accoutrements. Minds are being blown and work is being made that shows that blown mind. And those were the things I really, really liked. Yeah, there is something really great before it all gets codified. Uh, I remember talking to Oscar Janiger, who was an early LSD uh, therapist, and I'm kind of you know trying to ferret out how you know what it's like. You know, he's got a Nias Nin, he's got all these incredible. Could he have Cary Grant? He had Cary Grant. Yeah. Cary Grant said that he cured him of alcoholism with LSD. And I go, you know, what, what was it like with this highly experimental drug before Leary kind of broadcast it or something like that? And he, and he was just saying, oh, you know, it was amazing. It was so much better because we didn't have all that language around it. And it was just a primal experience. Uh, I'm curious, man, I'd really love to hear both of you uh, weigh in on this. Uh, I've always had this idea of of the psychedelic experience is from the roots of, of the word psychedelia is mind manifesting when most people call it m mind expanding so in other words it's going to be a projection very much of what's in you so we get our toe taking peyote and thinking about jesus which i promise you i've never thought about while i was on peyote is there a way that we can think of part of the the variety uh, of psychedelic experience, of the variety of psychedelic art as, uh, within this way, and say that, okay, there's going to be a spiritual side of it. There's be some people who are really going to see God in one way or another. Uh, there's going to be a lot of work which is kind of about perceptual issues, the way you actually visually uh, record information differently. And then there's going to be these kind of cultural differences, uh, maybe where we are on that timeline. 
if it's part of the, the summer of love or if it's before that or if it's long after that. And do you guys think, do you think I'm crazy or is this a, a legitimate way to think of, of the work by spiritual, perceptual or cultural differences? Yes, I do think you're crazy in a good way, of course, just to be clear. I think the, um, the psychedelic experience, um, to me, um, if I can use the word God in a strictly non-religious way, just for lack of a better word, I do think it's, let's just say there's the potential of what psychedelics could be, which is hard to really explain. It's sort of like your concept of God. What, you know, what is God? What is the universe? It's entirely has a lot to do with your ability to perceive it. So the experience has a lot to do with each individual person and their ability, you know, to to take in information, uh, to take in data. I think that to some extent psychedelics open up the apertures for information and what you do with it has a lot to do with your ability to either allow that to happen and also your focus. Um, you can program yourself like Timothy Leary advocated quite a bit. That it, you can use psychedelics as a meta-programmer. It it's also can be like a, a mimic, a mimetic, is that? Mimetic. A mimetic. Use it to obtain the effect of another type of situation. You can, it's, it's quite um, flexible what you could do with it. So I think to some extent it's a question of as you're saying, like, you know, Artaud thought about right. Jesus, but that's just what, he, what was on his mind. To me, it, it comes down to more. Um, psychedelics allow you to have more, a vaster array of input coming in. And if you're able to handle it, it's sort of like a hypergrowth uh, stimulant. And in some ways, I've always felt that more is better. And, and visually, and, yeah. and Fred, you, you've thought about, I want you to hear what you have to say basically about the variety's experience, but you have been an advocate for that kind of idea of more within the minimalist oh, framework of You mean of maximalist? Art. Maximalist, yeah. exactly. Well, to get back to your kind of like idea of like various kinds of trips, I've had them all. I've had the God trip, the devil trip, the punk rock trip, the hilarious cartoony, trip the freaking out in Disneyland trip and I think that like you know those variety of experiences almost describe different kinds of tribal allegiances that utilize psychedelics it's not just one kind of person and it's not just one kind of subcultural group you do have these spiritual people that think of it as a sacrament Al Hubbard thought that in the 50s thought that LSD was going to revivify the Catholic Church and apparently he was really pissed when he died, you know, because the hippies took away yeah. his, the Eucharist, the, sacrament, the yeah. sacrament, right? I'm open to all of that, that stuff. When I'm thinking about psychedelics, I try to put all that stuff into the work that I do that springs out of that. For me, I'm an atheist, so I, I don't really carry uh, either the tools or the baggage of the, the spirituality. But it does open up uh, an interesting subgenre of art shall we say one of the great things that will be in this show is some of the work of Olga Spiegel uh, who's an artist you've supported and uh, is a really interesting figure from that time who's been sadly overlooked but we can talk about visionary art in this way and and I think it's interesting because 
The Hilma Af Klimt show was super important in terms of changing the perspective of the art world when that show happened at the Guggenheim. But then this last weekend, uh, the show uh, Supernatural America opened up at uh, MIA, Minnesota Institute of Arts, uh, which deals with that. And I see the art world in the perpetual way. It's stirring up the pot of beans to, to bring back flavors, is kind of obsessed with this spiritual thing. So where is the relationship of visionary art practice, what we would typically call psychedelic art? Where, where do they overlap and where are they they're quite different? Well, visionary art, to a certain extent, I mean, it's just a word. This is the issue. I mean, we visions has always kind of been associated with religious art in a certain way. I mean, we, you know, if you're going to have a great vision. I had a dream. I had a vision. I'm back from my uh, walkabout and, uh, you know, mm -hmm. uh, God spoke to me or I've seen the future or whatever. In the olden times, that meant a hell of a lot. Somebody comes in and starts proclaiming they've had a vision. Most people aren't willing to do that. And a lot of times they, you know, they're like, okay, well then you're, you go study with the medicine man or okay, you're going to, you're going to preach in the you know, in the church or whatever. My feeling is, um, to some extent, visionary art has been oh, kind of put up as being special when I feel that visions are a more common phenomenon. And visionary art, I mean, if you're talking, say, Blake, or some of the early artists that were associated with visionary art, uh, maybe even Redon. I think to, to me it's kind of more of a feeling. It's like they somehow imbue the art with a, a feeling of there's like a revelation or there's a transcendence involved, um, non-specific. And yet in the more contemporary times, visionary art is been more associated with ability to convey I'm thinking more like, say, like an Alex Gray or something. It's more an ability to convey a sort of a supernatural situation, maybe be able to graphically convey some kind of an expanded state of consciousness, a lot of times through symbols and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, to some extent, I've always had a tr little bit of trouble with the label visionary art in the sense that it's so broad and so vague. Fair enough, and, and there is some kitsch in that world we, we shouldn't forget. Fred, do you, do you relate to, to visionary experience at all? Uh, not even as an artist, even as someone who likes well, art? Well, yeah, sure. About 20 years ago, I was teaching at uh, Boston MFA, and I, I did a, a lecture uh, or a slide talk called Outsider Artist, Conceptual Artist, What's the Difference? And for me, when we're talking about outsider artists, they always have, there's usually a text or a story or a narrative behind the work. And, and then that work becomes manifest. And then when you get the backstory and the work, it, it becomes a full-bodied or full-mind-body experience. And a similar thing happens with conceptual art or like people like Bruce Nauman, I, was, I, I specifically used, or like even like Bill Wegman and Mike Smith. And like, there's a lot of you know, pretty wacky, sort of narratively based works. And I think that with uh, psychedelic art, there's also sort of a backstory that, you know, becomes part of the visual experience, you know, like this person is trying to bring back an experience from the other side, from the other side of reality, from inside of themselves and, um, and make that outwardly manifesting. I mean, I think it's all there. And I think the kind of art I, I tend to like 
has that broadly. It has, it had, there are stories behind the work and the work and the story together. It's it's like a it's like a good pop song, you know. Yeah. You got the you got the melody and then you got the lyrics, you and, know. And you can dance yeah, to and it. And you can I haven't danced to any paintings recently, but oh. give me enough acid, maybe I will. Yeah, no, I dance to paintings. <laughs> Fred just mentioned that he's taken all the different types of trips. You know, the different roles that you can inhabit while you're tripping. And honestly, the visionary is a great one. You know, I think when people go and do psychedelics, the goal of for instance, having a vision is a great thing to aspire to, yeah. um, because it generally means you're 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 looking for something that you're not sure what it is. It's it should be great, and I think it's a great mindset to approach uh, taking psychedelics. You know, yeah. saying oh, I'm going to have a visionary experience, like you know, not knowing maybe what that is. I I would agree with you, uh, but as, as someone who, who um, isn't uh, particularly. Uh, looking for that or is rather uh, profoundly skeptical of the ways we project uh, the the unknowing uh, that is beyond the comprehension of our mind. Uh, and I'm more interested in the psychological aspect. So I think what we're also talking about is ego death. And I think we've all... Uh, no game ecstasy, man. Yeah, but we've all benefited from uh, certain points in our life having profound ego deaths. And I, I don't think you necessarily need psychedelics for that. Sometimes death itself uh, of a loved one uh, or something like that can help you with that. But uh, I think, you know, killing the ego is really great and, and all the more necessary every day in our society. I don't know if you have to kill a poor thing. Well, I mean, you know, it's okay it's not, to it's just... Not, it's not really very... It's, okay it's just to afflictive, just, you know? It's okay to just play with it, too. <laughs> I mean, it's a lot of fun when it comes down to it. Yeah. And also, I mean, if you're having a vision, you don't have to take it, like, so seriously. It's not like you have to go out and start a religion just because you had a little vision. You could have a different one the next day. Yeah. In fact, you might have a couple within the... Same you trip. You know, an hour, the same yeah. trip. I'm saying it's, you know, people sometimes take these things too seriously. They're just kind of, the ego could be good, healthy, fun sometimes if you don't take it too seriously. You know, one of the things, you know, that attracts me to these substances is how I can't really reconcile them. I mean, I have a pretty broad and open idea about what they might or might not mean. Part of me feels that like maybe they do open up a portal to another dimension. Another part of me thinks, oh, it's just chemistry in my brain, like just making my, you know, just, and, 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 and there's a lot of areas in between. And I haven't really reconciled that. And I'm kind of skeptical about the God thing since I too am, a, you know, pretty much of an atheist. But it has given me a glimpse of something beyond. Yeah. Like, I don't know what it is, but it has given me a glimpse of it. And I don't know if it's the chemicals inside my brain and it's just that or if it really is a porthole. And like, you know, when you're really in it, you don't know. And when you come back, you're still not quite sure. And, and that's it, what I like about it. Yeah, and DMT is particularly tricky that way Ooh. because sometimes that just Once feels like, enough. oh, it's just, you know, short wiring my synapses. And other times it's like, oh yeah, I'm really somewhere else. I do have to say uh, before I forget that psychedelic art, conceptual art, what's the difference? Since we do have Evan here, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm advocating right now that they do a whole issue dedicated to that subject, but. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> it's done. I'll help. Uh, I'll be. I'll help you. I would that. have. I would have liked to. Uh, I would have liked to have. Uh, I would have liked to have been at that lecture. 
Uh, I still got the 35 millimeter slides. Yeah, oh, good. Oh my. <laughs> the little carousel and the clicker. Yeah, I'm all yeah. about the JPEGs now. Jay, I, I'd like to talk to you a little bit and also hear Fred's thoughts on this, of course, but about the kind of materiality of this stuff because um, we're kind of uh, dealing with artifacts in many ways, whether it's uh, from a studio or from the pop culture, and they're kind of representations of an experience that sometimes we look at that stuff and we don't, uh, you've always told me, it's like, well, don't forget the elephant in the room. It's, it's kind of about tripping uh, or about the drug itself. Uh, so can you tell me uh, what we learn from, in your case, the collecting, and maybe in Fred, in my case, more like the studying of this kind of history of artifacts that have come out of psychedelic experience. We, in terms of artifacts, we've learned that stuff gets old. We've learned that if you want if you want something to last for a while, don't, you know, don't do your masterpiece of psychedelic art on like your bedsheet or whatever, or you know, on super pulpy shitty paper because it just turns brown and I mean in the terms of the materiality of mm -hmm. uh, gee I'm like 66 now I actually watched paper turn turn old and watch uh, you know crazing and cracking on paints because they they weren't you know laid down properly so I mean there's that element we've learned to take care of things but, but do things shift I mean I, I've always thought that uh is as much as it helped the great poster artists, the the Rick Griffins, the you know, going through the list of the great Bay Area poster artists, they were be they benefited from a lot of baby boomer nostalgia that people could go, oh, Grateful Dead, you know, I have that tattoo. But on the other hand, uh, these meanings shift over time, and we won't be alive to uh, to witness it. But there will be a time when with popular music, maybe Grateful Dead won't be the signifier that it is now, or something like that. So what do we learn from the artifact that goes beyond its original purpose? Does that make any sense? It's like a, there's some things that are constant, and there's some things that are constantly changing, and that's the only constant. Each generation that comes up has to discover things for themselves, you know that there there's some truisms and yet it doesn't really matter you know because it's a it's 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 sort of a process of discovery and you have to allow new people to go through the same process it's it the it's a deeply uh, personal interpretation you know i mean i was listening to um fish the other night you're just, amongst friends you can admit that just thinking that uh it just how, how, how wonderful it was, and it wasn't Grateful Dead music. They were originally, I believe, inspired by the Grateful Dead, but they took it off into a whole different direction, and they're a whole different group of people, and it's just wonderful. It's the same with the art. There's things that have held up really well. There's things that have become, you know, less well-regarded over time, and there's it's a constantly you know, reinventing of itself process that's going on with, with the art, you know, and it's not, it, we don't have to ascribe a, a value or an importance just because something came before something else, mm -hmm. um, you know what I mean? It's Yeah, we're talking about history, but it's such recent history, we can say that the, the jury is still out. Yeah, and what the kids are coming up with, it's wonderful. Fred, you, you, you've, you've gathered a few treasures as, as artists do over the years. Um, 
in, in much probably more personal ways than than other people might. And you've you've you'll love to find an old psychedelic book or some other relic like that. How, how do you know? Why do you spend too much money on these things? <laughs> well, you know, I, I am kind of like really interested in stuff and like the really good stuff is not on the internet you know so you know maybe you just have to buy it yeah. you know and and you know though they also become and and there's a bit of object fetishization like oh i have i remember guys from spoonbill and sugartown called me and said you know we have the original harvard experiments um, you know um, lsd book from 63 the, Har the harvard review and it's in perfect condition. We thought of you, and I was like, "Yeah." <laughs> we we had a little bit, and it was a lot more money than I'd ever paid for a book. But I mean, I, every time I look at that thing, I just like I love looking at it, you know. So I have a few things, and they're really meaningful to me, and I I pull them out every now and then, and um, I get I get stuff out of it. Do you wear white gloves? No, no, no neither. white gloves. Yeah. And books are my fetish, so uh, I, I'm with you on all that. It's just something that interests me because there's a lot of thought that psychedelic art is kind of part of this peace and love movement, which certainly a lot of it was. As I saw psychedelic solution develop from something more than a theme park into something more of an investigation, you took a lot of interesting turns along the way. You included a lot of stuff that isn't necessarily overtly what we would call psychedelia. One of the things that interested me is that there is space for darker thoughts, for darker considerations within that. Now, when I think about it, it's become like this really hot show in New York right now. Everyone's talking about and everyone's writing about and it's at a very young, hip gallery called Lomex of H.R. Giger, who you showed. And then I think that, well, you also showed Robert Crumb and he's the artist of the whole lot who's being shown by David Zwerner now. So we, we do have this sense that like maybe like the more misanthropic strains of what was going on are the ones that maybe the art world has more of a fascination for right now than, than people who might have had flowers in their work or something like that. Does, does that make any sense? And Fred, you work with the art world enough. Why do you think that like something like Giger would, would hit such a resonant note? all this time, when he was this a cult figure in our time? Why, why is that so big in the art world? Or, or Crumb such, so much more durable than uh, Stanley Mouse or something like that? Looking at contemporary art, one of the number one issues is pathology. Where is the pathology? Oftentimes the inclusion of a certain kind of pathology within art saves it from being kitsch. You know? So there's usually some problem that an artist is wrestling with and it might be embarrassing or sexual or, or cultural or political. That sort of friction, that prickliness, I think, in those particular works, Giger and, and uh, Crumb, you know, Giger, his sort of like, his kind of like horror of the, his body horror in, mm -hmm. in Giger, and in uh, this sort of the psychologically twisted stuff of our Crumb really speaks to that. I mean, there's a lot of ways to look at it, but one, one of the ways is also uh, depends on the area you're in. Um, in a city like New York City, possibly the peace and love elements, as you say, might not have been as uh, relevant. Concrete jungle, kind of a dystopian uh, 
universe of like say especially new york city in the 80s where it was a little or, bit or even in the 60s i think there's a big difference between yeah. like the the fugs and the velvet underground versus uh, the bay area bands or the swing it's it's also it's an entertainment London. form too people coming to look at art and you, you i think people are entertained when they get out of their comfort zone a little bit um you don't you, sometimes you go for entertainment that's uh comforting and, and soothing and calming and other times you're going for some stimulation so I think you need to it, it, it needs to encompass all parts of it and psychedelics to a certain extent is about going a little out of your comfort zone it's not uh, if you you know if you're trying to relax you're probably going to have have a joint or have uh, you know yeah. scotch or something uh, you know but I mean psychedelics you don't take that because you're just going to sit back and relax you can't you could but it's not i mean i know a lot of people who microdose just as an antidepressant with lsd and and we all love to take a little cap just to put a little sparkle when we have to go out the door of like oh, mushrooms sure. but uh anyway <laughs> can almost wrap it up with this but you're in a a, a slightly uh, rarer position than uh, jay and i who mostly when we talk about this stuff we're talking to a bunch of fellow heads, uh, you're I'm uh, often talking to fellow. Heads yeah, you too. are. You are too. <laughs> but you're also somebody who has like museum shows and and, and are serious collections, and you're dealing with this kind of art world proper. Uh, and how do you explain and and convey the importance uh, of this in your art, or is it just something you leave tacit? Because I I just love to be able to convince some of the people. Who, in the art world who think I'm a freak to, <laughs> that no, no, this matters as well as the other stuff. You know, first of all, I'm not one of those like visionary artists that feels like I'm taking an, an experience and trying to bring it back to the other side. I use the shape and um, the feeling of those experiences to talk about other issues. And I, I sort of like grafted on issues that I have around politics and the social and utopianism and there's a lot of like tangential issues that kind of hook into the the feeling and the and the vibes and the format and the formalism of psychedelics but i'm not a pure psychedelic artist yeah, by any means that's true. i guess i sort of felt like that it was for the longest time it was really strange to me that the art world, everybody was tripping for a long time and nobody was talking about it. And it seemed like this weird elephant in the room, like we're all people that are supposedly interested in perception and, and how an object modifies perception. And here it is, we've been taking all these chemicals that have been altering our perception, but it's not getting into the rhetoric or into the look of the work that we're making. It's like, you know, I know all these like minimalists that were tripping, you know, and you know, their, their work does not look psychedelic and they don't wanna talk about it. And so for me, it was sort of like this almost taboo subject for a long time. And in that regard, it sort of felt like this was something that I should try to open a door to and see if there was anything worth getting out of. You know, for a while, you know, people just you know, thought it might be a dumb hippie. And, and there's still people that do. Yeah. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. But I think you know, people kind of took my intentions seriously after a while. I think there is this, this interesting aspect about it because both of us, for instance, kind of came out of punk rock, came out of, of different cultural movements, and we, at that time, were invested in this idea of the underground, which is a very hard kind of construct to maintain in this digital interconnected age. Mm -hmm. But I do think there is something about the fact that 
most of the drugs we're talking about remain illegal and mo you know and taking it remains illegal in most cases it's you know maybe like graffiti which which uh, continues to work along illegal uh, path pathways maybe there's something about psychedelic art that will remain underground uh, for a lot longer than other things which get co-opted and, and kind of explained earlier do you have what do you think about that the illegal aspects you had to be careful you had a, a public space I'm sure you had undercovers thinking they might try to buy LSD from you or something uh, how do we uh, think of of this thing as still a taboo subject. Yeah, that Curious Souls show you did blew my mind for a variety of reasons, but one of them was like, how's this guy getting away with that? We, we got away with it um, <laughs> by lying, um, basically. Yeah. The, I mean, the blotter acid, um, at, the, at the time we did the show, I mean, uh, about two-thirds, three-quarters of the show came from Mark McLeod's collection, and a quarter of it came from my collection. And of course, at that time, the only blotter acid that was available that you could collect or find was still, you know, was dosed. Right. There were a few sheets that hadn't been dosed that had been obtained um, through the sources, et cetera, et cetera. But we, we um, made a disclaimer that said that the chemicals had been neutralized in all of the sheets through farm chem laboratories in Florida. And we had this disclaimer out in the gallery printed on the uh, on the seating area. Of course, that would have been too expensive, and I don't even know if FarmChem actually existed, but it's, it sounded good. <laughs> Sounds like the people who audit the elections yeah, in uh, but it, Arizona. And also, we yeah, didn't... We, we, uh, I, we were very paranoid. We didn't publicize the show ahead of the show, like all the other shows. We waited till... The show was a month long, and we waited till the third week of the show to send out the publicity information to the press. You know, because we figured, okay, that'll give them about a week to respond, come in, do this, and by the time there's a brouhaha, if there is one, we could take the show down and and it's it's gone. You know, but we were we were frightened. I mean, we did get calls, not specifically during that show, but off and on in the course of the gallery. Uh, hi, you know, you, uh, you know, do you mind if we come down and take a look around, uh, detectives or whatever, or you know, or people would stop by suspiciously. We were, we always knew we were under scrutiny. But see, where I come from, the culture that I kind of came up in, um, it's always been like that. So I've, I'm not really got a great perspective on it. I came kind of out of a outlaw reality. Um, hippies in general. Um, you know, it, 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 we were always paranoid uh, that somebody was looking at us funny or someone was going to, you know, say something or beat you up. You were like, um, you know, or somebody was going to like stop and frisk you. Yeah. I mean, hey, you even, know, even for we, weed, we yeah. got we got you and I got yeah, stopped we, we, in the we, we had some jail we got time arrested in the yeah. bus station in Topeka, Mexico. Why? Because of uh, it was a, a profiling. Yeah. You know, so I'm just saying uh, there. Did you guys I, also have bags of peyote with well, you? Well, we had trucks of peyote. It's yeah. different. And it was it, it wasn't it was for a us. Tractor it was trailer, for the sure, tractor trailer, tractor trailer. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, uh, it, I've always thought, like, in terms of the blotter, uh, it's you put it behind a frame, it's art, and art is, like, the most wonderful disguise for the most subversive ideas and materials out there. So, And, I've, of, of course, I've, I've argued in federal court for that as well, because once you call it art, it's, in our culture, it's one of the last permissions we allow. That. But uh, there's, a, there's a big uh, uh, tie-in between art 
quote unquote being illegal. I yeah. mean, art has been illegal at various points and times. I mean, subversion, you said the word yeah. there. Um, art's always been a threatening um, because it's, uh, you know, it, it, it tends to uh, break down uh, the convention, which mm -hmm. is so precious and, and protected. That Cures Souls, the water acid show that you did was really inspiring to me. It was shortly thereafter I started making blotter acid myself and then started making uh, work with real, real drugs, real LSD, real pot leaves and shrooms and pills embedded inside of it underneath, encased in resin. And, and my theory was like, you know, I, I was raised Catholic, you know, and, um, and, and, I, and I don't think it's any, I don't think it's a, any uh, a coincidence that Marcel Duchamp was Catholic. And that when he designated a urinal as an artwork, it was almost like the transubstantiation of the Eucharist, of turning a piece of bread into the body of Christ. You know, like it's one of the first conceptual artworks, in my opinion. You know, it's like, I declare this piece of bread a chunk of flesh. And then everybody eats it, becomes a cannibal, I guess, a Christian cannibal, and they become enlightened. Anyway, for me, I sort of thought that I was both saying that these objects in my work were now art. But they weren't, I didn't, wasn't just saying it, by encapsulating them in resin, I made them incapable of entering them to the bloodstream. So they could only uh, come to the person through their eyeballs, not through their blood. So it was a different way to, to altering perception. And it was replicatable, it was like it was inexhaustible. It can be used over and over again. Anybody can look at it. But it was a dangerous idea. It's well, yeah, idea. but it was an idea, I think, partially inspired by seeing the, uh, the Cure of Soul show, you know, and seeing, like, looking at that blotter acid, seeing the sort of potential sort of molecular energy encased in those things, imagining what those things could do to my brain, and those things then having an extra special life because of the knowledge of what they contained. They weren't just, you know, gridded up pieces of paper with cute little designs. They were like portals to another dimension, you know, and, and I took all of that in as, as part of the experience of looking at these, these pieces of, of scored paper. So that, that was really inspiring to me. And it was also kind of an interesting Duchampian gesture to stick them under glass and say, this is art, not drugs. I mean, acid is a lot like, looking at blotter acid is a lot like Proust's man, man, Mad Madeleine. Madeleine, yes. You know, it, it, just looking at it conjures up an experience, you yeah, know, yeah, another, yeah. another dimension. And, and, it, and it conjures <laughs> remembrance up. Remembrance of it, trips past. It, remembrance of trips past. Yeah. You so, know, yeah, blotter acid is our man, uh, is our man? The Proustian Madeleine. and Duchampian. Yeah, but and Proustian and Duchampian. All goes back to yeah, the French. Yeah. So, uh, and then you, had, you mentioned André Michaud, so yeah, they were yeah, I, trifecta. Yeah. Yeah, we have a condition in America now where a huge number of people are dying all the day because of their, their opiate addictions. And I've I kind of come to think of it that the difference between all the self-medications we did versus what's going on now uh, is that we came out of drug culture instead of drug taking, that uh, these things meant something to us. They had cultural meaning, cultural value, cultural conditions to them. And I, I don't know, again, it might just be another one of my weird ideas, but if we could, if you guys could just offer some brief thoughts on what drug culture is versus the drugs, because to me it's more than that as well. Drug culture, obviously, there's all different kinds of drug cultures, and the problem, I think, in the United States uh, is just that 
um, it's mostly about partying. And I think mostly people are trying to create moments that they can talk about later. It's a lot the same as when people go out drinking. I mean, they mostly, they're, they're, I think in the back of their mind, they're, they're hoping to get lucky, you know, and that they're either hoping to, to something's going to happen that, that'll create some kind of a memory that they can look back on. Oh, you remember that crazy fight, that brawl that started? Or, oh, you remember when that girl said, blah, blah. you know, I mean, they're looking for something to, to basically happen. And, um, and there's nothing necessarily wrong with partying, but with psychedelics, there, there is so much more potential and I, when I, as I was introduced to them, they were a pretty special thing. Um, you know, uh, there was a little element of mystery and the people that introduced them were all introducing them not as a party drug. It wasn't like, you're going to get so fucked up. This is going to be crazy, man. It was more like, um, this is the portal to like the Shulgans uh, or yeah, people like that. Like yeah, you were yeah. hearing from, uh, you know, whether it was a little sensationalized by Tim Leary or whether a little more down to earth, you know. But in pathogens being or, used, or, you know, or like maybe MDMA. a little zany, but yeah. nevertheless, we were warned and we were told uh, the set and setting was really important and you were supposed to set this up as a special occasion. And if you approached it like that, a lot of times, um, you know, it did become a special occasion. Fred, maybe you, you you understand more what I mean by drug culture, because for me it wasn't always about set and setting. I did it to see noisy bands and walk in streets late at night with rats running over my feet. It wasn't, <laughs> uh, I didn't need the idyllic. When, when, when was but you know what I mean about the culture is also like, the music, the visual art, the writing, There's culture is more than just taking something to get someplace else. And it's it's gonna be very different than the people right now who are taking their oxies and nodding out in front of Fox News. Uh, well, you, you know, I mean, I, I, I would like to say that, I'm, you know, personally I'm, I'm offended by the idea that, that when people talk about drugs, they put like opioids and cocaine in the same category as psychedelics. Like, I just think that like those, we, let's call, we can call those drugs, call, call the opioids and call the cocaines and all those white powder, you can call those drugs and the pharmaceuticals, but psychedelics are a different, a different thing, a different order. Not really drugs. Medicine. It's not, it's, yeah. I mean, I think so, I think so. And, and they, they carry, like they're not addictive. Many people have experienced truly therapeutic use uh, for post-traumatic stress disorder and dealing with end-of-life issues. I mean, these are all like pretty much like categorically proven yeah, now, and, and, you know. And being used. But I don't really think you even have to justify their use for like that they do some extra special good thing, you know, therapeutic thing for you. I think that they just can be, they can just really open up your head and, and sort of resets your your consciousness in a way and that and the way it resets people's consciousness really does depend on the kind of person they are and the kind of world they live in you know but you know, i just remember listening to like m&m's you know singing about taking mushrooms you know and it's a you know coming coming to it from a detroit hip-hop sensibility is really different than say you know like some hippie you know in hate ashbury but you know these same substances like manifest themselves in different cultures in different ways and uh 
and but they almost always have this like I can't believe what just happened. I'm you know this I just went to some ma magic amazing place. That seems to be the common denominator. Whether it comes out of hip hop culture and street culture, or whether it comes out of bucolic I don't know commune culture or back to the land culture. I We've all it. gotten off on like looking at the pee stains around the toilet when we're tripping. I mean oh. I think that everyone who's ever tripped <laughs> can remember that. It's like and it's really got a visually like the the wildest eye candy but then you know at the end you could think like oh it's kind of disgusting to trip on that i mean it's funny like in a punk rock world that Sorry. i come out of from the 70s i had to go there go there go there <laughs> i mean you know speaking of which i mean you know in the punk rock culture of the 70s where that i came out of it was like really incongruous and really uncool to take acid in those contexts. Everybody I knew was 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 basically taking was shooting dope, you know, yeah. and uh, or or doing coke or speed, you know, because I'm a, I grew up as a stoner. A stoner is basically a hippie without ideology, you know. Like we were like maybe the the hippies were about transcendence, but we were about oblivion, yeah. you know. But at a certain point that groping around in this oblivious way, like at a Stooges show or something like that, uh, tripping on acid kind of changed the, the, the kind of the energy in the room and made it different than all the people that were nodding out in the corner on heroin. So I don't know, it was, yeah. it, it was an interesting time to be dropping I, acid. I used to throw acid parties at a nightclub at basically the height of our, our heroin uh, days when and it was a real intervention because everyone was like immediately like, uh, can I get some more? It's like, no, 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 you're, you're fine with what you've got. Just give it a little while. Uh, but uh, it was, you know, it, it, I, I, anyway, I can argue for that. I'm going to make an appearance on this podcast. Um, since we've, we've, talked, we've talked so much about the history, sort of how psychedelics have come to shape different, different parts of the art world different ways that people are viewing the art world, but you guys are going to put together a presentation at the Outsider Art Fair. And we should, I would feel like we would do a disservice if we didn't ask, in a context like this, how you try to tell a story like this amongst you know, the backdrop of what Outsider Art is and how, how you're going to present this collection and how you're going to tell the story. Because it is, it is an art fair in the end, and so there is going to be all sorts of different styles around, and then there's kind of this highlight in the middle. Going back to the first point where uh, that I made earlier, which is about the variegations of, of the kind of art and the kind of artifacts that came out of what loosely is called psychedelic art, we've kind of like created different taxonomies for the objects. Like we have like a little salon style hanging of the blotter acids, say. Uh, we have uh, a kind of more comics, sort of mostly zap comics oriented wall, a, a cluster of stuff in another area. We have a bunch of music related uh, uh, memorabilia, posters and whatnot. We also have a section of artifacts that were like, uh, like the uh, you know, some for some of the trips festivals and the acid, uh, you know, some of the acid test stuff. And uh, we also even have kind of like some of this sort of art and language and art and technology stuff like USCO and some of the, the I don't think Carlos is into that stuff as I am, but I, I sort of like uh, tend to see that, you know, I tend to see that there's this, it's a really richly variegated kind of experience. So we've kind of like different walls contain these taxonomies of, of different outputs. So, uh, and I'm really, uh, a couple of things I'm curious to see, I haven't seen yet, is like there's this giant USCO piece made in 1965 that's like eight feet 
you know, this pretty minimal and uh, but completely uh, an acid drenched uh, utopian object that I uh, can't wait to. I've only seen images of it. So that's really exciting. That's coming from uh, from Solway Gallery in Cincinnati. They, uh, so there's a lot going on. There's going to be a lot of objects to see. And it'll be the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know, I mean, it's 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 all over the map. And we'll have visionary people. You know, we're gonna have all kinds of people. Like Joe Coleman. That uh, USCO piece at Solway Galleries because I put that in a show at Solway Galleries. So I, I do have. Uh, you know, I'm not an USCO hater. I know you're not. An USCO I, I actually curated that into that gallery. <laughs> Uh, and, and then I'm going to let Jay wrap it up, but I just want to tell people, because I know these things live in archive forever, uh, but for those who have a chance to catch this fresh, the, uh, the show Field Trip will be part of the Outsider Art Fair, which is in New York City at the Metropolitan Pavilion. It's going to open on Thursday, March 3rd, and run through Sunday, March 6th. So this stuff is eye candy. Hearing us talk about it is, is uh, like a shadow of, of the dream. I mean, it's an art exhibition. Um, it's not an exhibition about psychedelics. It's an exhibition about art, but it's art that's informed by the psychedelic experience, on, in some cases to a very subtle extent, and in some cases to a, a pretty extreme extent. Um, like in, in my own art practice, I, I don't work on psychedelics, but I use psychedelics and my experiences in the past as a tool because I've, I pretty much have classical interests in terms of the art that I'm doing. I mean, I'm interested in form, and I'm interested in edges. I've got uh, parameters that I do my little investigations, you know, piece by piece in. And I find that my experiences with psychedelics are the most useful in my life in terms of dealing with, with a, a difficult issue. I mean, a lot of the other things I've gone through in my life don't help me when I'm in pursuit of form. And I find form is a very... Uh, you know, tricky subject to deal with because it has a lot to do with our mind and its interface with the physical world. And all of the art that's going to be in this show, and the artists have different devices and different interests and different approaches, but they're all, it's all very interesting because you're going to see a lot of different approaches that these artists took. But I think to one extent or another, psychedelics informed their art, helped them in some way or influenced them in some way. It is an outsider, if not outlaw, art form. And uh, as that fair is now, this is for the 30th anniversary of the fair, we can track how a lot of, especially African-American, craft-based, a lot of different work that was first shown at the Outsider Art Fair and has been supported by this community that cares about uh, these self-taught uh, visionary things. That stuff now is in major galleries and in major museums. So uh, let's hope the best for uh, this work as well because it's just another way of, of looking at it. Mm -hmm.